thank you for singing with us. Please be seated. Today, um, we didn't get a rose onto the stage here, but we do have a baby to celebrate, and uh, that is Chris and Janet Drinnen's little boy. Isn't that great? So, Matthew John, right, came in. Did I miss one? Matthew John Gabriel. Okay. Matthew John Gabriel, it was so early on the Friday morning. Yeah, like just after midnight, okay, that uh, he came into the world, and now his uh, older sisters, Lucy, Ray, and Maya, have someone to raise. <laughs> Chris and Jenna won't have to do any work with those two around. They can just delegate. That's wonderful. And, yeah, we're pretty excited. Um, that's that's uh, a real blessing to their family and also to our whole church. I... Um, just jump right in here. We're, we're in the middle of a series. Well, not middle. We're still in the front end of a series. Last week I introduced our series called Generations. And uh, I, we're going to go a little further in this. I'll tell you some of the stuff that's coming in this series. Uh, we're going to be in this series for a little while. But we want to talk about things like uh, the value of life. We want to talk about singleness. We want to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. Uh, we're going to do a special training event just for grandpas. Wow. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about technology in the home. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to come up in this series, but it's going to be really exciting. Uh, but one of the things we said we would do last week was we really wanted to allow the wisdom of older generations to be passed on to younger generations. And uh, if you open your, the bulletin you got, you'll see there's a little card in there that says generations on there. And if you didn't get one, the ushers can get you one, okay? But let me explain what it is. Basically, I'm going to, I'm enlisting you to help us shape how that wisdom comes from older generations to younger generations. And what I want from you is I want you to, do, to think about what area of life you feel you would benefit the most in gaining wisdom in. So you say, I really need wisdom in this area, or it's about this, or this is the, the area that I struggle the most, and boy, it would be great to hear from somebody who's gone before and uh, figured some things out and could pass that on to me. Okay, and then you'll see at the, the bottom blank on that same sheet says, and now who do you want to do that, basically? Identify a wise guy or a wise girl that you think uh, would be really great to talk about this. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect all that pool of many wise people and also the topics that people are looking for wisdom on, and I'm going to have more people than I know what to do with, but I'm going to sort of winnow it down to get a select group and then uh, the last week of May, and we might even do it twice, we might even do it in the second week in uh, June, we're going to take some time to get some of those wise people that you've chosen to talk about some of those areas where you have said you need wisdom. And we're going to get them up here, and they're going to they're share some of that stuff with us. So you can think of someone who's wise, write them down. Maybe you can think of several people who are wise, write them all down. Uh, think of areas where you feel like you need wisdom or this generation needs wisdom. Write those things down as well. You don't have to put your name on it. That's optional. You can if you want. Uh, but at the end of the service, um, 
you can take them out into the entryway and there'll be um, like the offering plates or something out there that you can put those in, okay? And uh, help us shape the series going forward um, as we go. Now, let's look at the verse that is the theme verse for our series. Psalm 145, verse 4. It says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Okay. So we said we're a hugely blessed church because we're a multi-generational church. Not every church has got all the generations inside of it. Uh, But... When we say we're multi-generational, what does that mean? What are the generations inside of our church? And so I wanted to do a quick exercise this morning to help you uh, get a visual on what the generations in our church are. So I've got five volunteers I asked yesterday to help me with this. So if you five volunteers could come and, uh, and join me on, this, on the platform here. I'll move these up a little closer. Yeah, come on up. And uh, we're going to get you guys to help me to give a visual to everybody about the five generations that exist in our church. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. Wonderful. All right. Perfect. Okay, let me introduce to you these representatives of the generations. Now, I want to just say in advance, all of these ones have been hand-picked because of the fact that they're really in the middle of their generation. Some people are right on the fringes. Like, my wife is right on the fringe of Gen X and uh, millennials. She is a Gen X, but just barely, right? And so we're actually picking people who are right they represent their generation really, really well. So we'll start here with Hazel Rain. Uh, some of you know Hazel. Um, long-term missionary with her husband in India for many years. And she's still going strong. In fact, you were there just this year, weren't you? Right. So she's from the builder generation. Okay. And then we've got Norvin Tanyard. Uh, Norvin is part of that generation that's just sort of straddling retirement. Some retiring, some not retiring, some realizing they have to work until they die. Okay. <laughs> The baby boomers, all right? And then we've got Tammy Barkley, okay, mom of many and uh, really involved in our children's ministry here. Uh, she is right smack in the middle of the, the smallest generation, the Gen Xers, okay? That's my generation, and we're puny. There's not very many of us. Anyhow, then there's the next generation, and you know what? I asked Anders, I said, you know what? Nobody wants to be associated with this generation. Will you be brave? Will you be brave? And he said, yeah, he'll take one for the millennial team, and uh, he'll represent the millennials, okay? Because they get vilified on the media nowadays, and it's not really fair. Uh, Half the millennials are really nice. Anyhow... (laughs) Teasing, teasing. And then we have Tassia Mota, and she is right smack dab in the middle of what what people are calling Gen Z, okay? There's a few different names for some of these, okay? So, for example, the Builders is also called the Silent Generation or the Traditionalists, but I thought Silent and Traditionalist, they sound a little bit either stodgy or, like, ineffective. Builder, that's a positive name. Baby Boomer, this is the most defined generation. Nobody even debates who they are or when they lived, Some of the other ones, there's like debates on what the ending years are, especially right here between the Gen X's and Millennials. It's sort of like, did it end, you know, in 1980 or in the late 70s, or it does go all the way to 84. There's real, like, nebulous, lots of different reporting on where the line is between these two generations. But these guys are in the middle of their generation, so they're safely 
Gen X, and Millennial. Okay, so Gen X, that's that name for the middle generation. Uh, millennials are sometimes called Gen Y, but Millennial seems to be the one that, that's resonating the most. And then this, because they call this one Millennials, some people are trying to call this one Centennials, because the new century, uh, but Gen Z seems to be the common name that's most commonly used. So I'm trying to use the most common or familiar names uh, for each generation. So we're going to talk about each generation really quickly. Um, so, oh, for, I, wanna, I want you to play a guessing game with me, okay? The guessing game is, what defining moment of each, what was the defining moment of each generation? Or the defining moment, story, or event, okay? So was there sort of a defining thing of each generation? So the builders are people, so you're going, well, which generation am I in? Let me give you some years, okay? So the builders are the ones one born like 1928 to 1945, okay? So they, um, they're born in those years. Can, can, can anyone try to suggest what would be maybe a defining event, there's probably several options, of their generation? World, dirty 30s, World War II, good. The Depression, okay. I think, I think you guys are already hitting pretty strong on these. What's that? Prohibition. <laughs> I think that was the 20s. Okay, yeah, that's, that would have been maybe even the, the generation before them known as the silent generation or the greatest generation. Uh, not the silent generation, but the greatest generation. Okay. Um, okay, so I put, I put one event and only one event on each one of these cards. So now it's time for the great reveal. So you guys did a great job guessing. Hazel, do you want to reveal the fold down your card for me there? Drum roll. There we go. World War II. Okay. So now you can debate that. Some people would say the Korean War was actually more formative because uh, some of these ones were just growing up as children in World War II. Hazel, how old were you when World War II began? You were four years old. And do you, you, we were talking the other day. Tell us, do you remember? I should, I should grab this. Can I grab this, Nick? Okay. Can you, can you tell me really quickly, do you remember uh, what? Um, do you remember the, the announcement of war? Do you remember that? Well, strangely, I do remember uh, something came over the radio and our family, there was just a, a tense feeling that, that went through the whole room. And... Uh, I didn't know much what world, world, world War was, but I knew it was not something good, and I, I sensed that, that feeling of tension when it was announced. Okay. So for this generation, World War II was... Now, it goes all the way up to 45, so there would have been people or would have been kids in this generation that would have been born in World War II but not remembering those years, right? But anyone Hazel's age or maybe older would actually remember parts of World War II. And uh, it would have continued, the shadow of World War II would have, would have overshadowed a lot of the thinking and captured the imaginations of that generation as they were developing. I, I remember, I was thankful to think my dad was too old to go out as a soldier and my brother was too young. <laughs> I remember those thoughts. <laughs> Generations, right? Perfect. Okay, so let's go on to the next generation here. We're just moving through this fairly quickly here this morning. We're going to go to uh, our baby boomers. Now, this is the one that no one debates about. Born in 1946, so the year after World War II ended, and to 1964. 
So if you're 1946 to 1964, you're a baby boomer. Can anyone tell us, take some guesses at what might be on Norvin's card? What, what events or stories or, or, or things transpired for the baby boomers that were... What's that? Vietnam, Vietnam War, okay. Kennedy. Kennedy, not that he lived, but that he was assassinated, right? Okay. So, flower children. The British invasion, the Beatles, okay. The space program, okay. Jesus people. Woodstock. Wow, we know a lot about this generation. Pretty. It was until the millennials came along, it was the biggest generation. By the way, the millennials are now bigger, and Gen Z will be bigger yet. Okay, just put that in perspective. But there was the baby boom, this massive post-war generation, and we remember lots about them because they're very influential generation in our, in our, uh, our lives. Okay, so Norvin, let's see what you got here. I put the moon landing, the moon landing. Now, the reason, okay, I should ask this question. How many of you that are in that generation, you are baby boomers and you're willing to admit it, um, how many of you would say, I remember exactly where I was when the moon landing happened? Okay? Okay. 69. So it wasn't in those years, but it was a formative event for that generation. So people who were even born as late as 64 would have been five years old when the moon landing happened. Whereas JFK was like 63, his, his assassination. So some of the generation hadn't even been born yet. So that was the other one I was tempted to put down, but I realized it would exclude the last few people in that generation. So the moon landing was one that every baby boomer experienced a defining event. Okay, and we can argue, some people would say that the Vietnam War which was just before the moon landing, the American involvement, might have been more significant. And Norvin and I were talking yesterday about, what, were you talking about a vacation where you first saw people dressed differently than you? Tell, tell us about that real quick. Yes, uh, I remember our family taking a vacation. We lived in Estevan, so we, uh, most of our vacations were to the west and uh, down number one highway. And I remember... Uh, uh, people outside of large centers, outside of Calgary, outside of Regina, uh, all along the highway, on their way moving west. Um, I guess in Canada they maybe weren't going to San Francisco, but they were certainly going to Vancouver. Um, and I remember the, oh, the kind of the scruffy costumes and the long hair and the beads and the smiley symbols on the blue jeans and, and uh, so people were on the move, and it was all the, the hippie generation and uh, the, the love theme and, and that sort of thing. I, I didn't really um, participate in it. I was quite isolated uh, from that, but very much aware of what was going on in the world. And um, I think it certainly laid the groundwork for a lot of change in attitudes, some good, some bad. Okay. Okay, very influential generation. We're going to move on to Gen X. Now, Gen X has got some, some funny boundaries on the front end. Uh, Gen X is, is, uh, is more easily defined because it, it falls on the tail end of the, of the boomers. So Gen X, we can say 1965, but where it ends is fuzzy. You could probably go as short as 1976, or you could probably go as late as 80, or some people even said 84, which I think is too late. So I would say 76 to 80 is sort of the back end of it. But... Um, 
Tammy's smack in the middle of this generation, which is wonderful. Uh, so she represents them well. Tell us quickly, take some guesses. What would be a divining event of Generation X? The Berlin Wall. The internet and personal computers, okay. The 72 series against the Russians, okay, yes. That's a good one. What's that? Personal computer, okay. MTV, I want my, I want my. Yes, we all want MTV. Okay, or we did back then, anyhow. Um, okay, so those are great guesses. Let's throw it out. Let's see what we got. The Berlin Wall. First guess. Thank you for, for that one. Okay, the Berlin Wall, because we were children of the Cold War, and then it ended. Who knew that was going to happen? Now, there are other wars that happened. We experienced the Gulf War. We could have said that one. Uh, and we did experience the personal computer. The Internet was actually probably yet to come. It, wasn't, it was something that millennials experienced as well. So I, we wouldn't be able to claim that as a defining event for ourselves uh, or only our generation. But, uh, but definitely the personal computer was a part of that. And uh, the Berlin Wall, the Cold War, the Gulf War, those are some of the things in Generation X. Uh, we, I said this last week, we were also the first generation where divorce became uh, uh, very common, right? So we were the latchkey kids and in our generation. Uh, before the generations before that, it's not that they didn't, they didn't get divorced, it's that they didn't grow up in families where it was common to be divorced. So they had a different experience than we did. So that was, that was shaping Generation X. All right, let's go to our, let's go to the millennials. Okay, so millennials, I, now again, the front end is fuzzy because of their sharing space with Generation X, but so you could probably go as early as 77. Um, and uh, some people say you could go as late as maybe 80, right? So that, again, 80. And I, I have had people say 84, but I think that's too late. So 77 to 80 is sort of the front end. And on the back end, you're probably looking at 95, maybe as late as 97, okay? So defining of moments for the millennial generation. Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> no. <laughs> Now, that, you're just putting that plug in because, anyhow, that's fine. That's fine. 9-11? Y2K. 9-11, Y2K? Smartphones? Video games in general. Video games in general, okay. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, okay. The internet. Minivans? Someone said minivans? No. They were around in Gen X. They were around in Gen X. Cell phones. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was, we had cell phones too, but they were cell phones. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> you need, okay. Real cell phones. Okay. Well, let's see. What, what do you got there, Anders, for us? September 11th. Okay. The, the, the terrorist attack on September 11th was a defining uh, event how, okay, let's, let's back up here. Gen Xers, those of you who admit it. Do you remember where you were when, do you remember the Berlin Wall falling? Do you remember seeing on the news? Do you remember where you were? Anyone? Gen Xers? Does that ring okay? Okay. How about millennials? Anyone remember this? Yeah. You know what? They did a survey, and they surveyed all these generations, and they said what was the most shaping event of 
all of these, and number one is actually September 11th. All the generations said it. Even the builders who experienced World War II, they said something significant changed at September 11th in the, in the psyche and the consciousness of North Americans. Very interesting. So, there are, you know, you guys pointed out a lot of really great ones for uh, millennials, right? Uh, one of them you didn't mention out was the first black president. Maybe that's a bigger thing for the states than it is for us. But that was something that, uh, that, that millennials uh, experienced uh, as, a, as a shaping event in 2008. Um, we, Iraq and Afghanistan war would have been shaping. It's maybe more for Americans than for us. Of course, the internet and Google and Facebook and those things were all things uh, that they experienced. All right, well, let's go to our last generation, and this is Generation Z, and so we've got Tassia down here. Hi, Tassia. How you doing? Okay, so Tassia is 10, and so she is right smack dab in the middle of her generation, which is Generation Z, which we haven't talked about yet. There's a lot of focus on the millennials and how they're doing and, or not doing. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you are so brave, Anders. And... Uh, but there hasn't been a lot of talk about this generation yet, but this generation, some of them are arguably, depending on where you draw the line, some of them are already 2021. But we haven't done a lot of talking about uh, Generation Z yet. Now, here's the thing about Generation Z. Do you wanna show us, we're not even gonna guess, just show, it, show us what's there. Probably the defining events for Generation Z have not yet happened. Remember, this is a generation, if you look at a generation maybe being like anywhere from 16 to 20 years, some of them are very young yet. So what they'll all experience together and remember together, it may not have happened, right? You think about how epic these all events were. There may be some, there's, I, I anticipate there probably will be an epic defining event yet to come that we can't anticipate what it is that will probably uh, shape this generation. But I want you to think back about all this. For Tassie's generation, September 11th, Berlin Wall, moon landing, and World War II are all history, not experience. In fact, that's what can be said about every generation. For Anders' generation, these are all history. For Tammy's generation, these are history. For Norvin's generation, this is history, not experience. Now, that means that uh, there are stories to be told through the generations, right? Now, you can go to the History Channel and get whatever version of it you get. But, you know, there's nothing better than to hear from the people who actually experienced events. And we heard a little bit of that uh, today, just people giving a little bit of snapshots of, of the events of what they're doing. Uh, for the Generation Z, they do not know a world without a war on terror. All right, September 11th is history in the past before they remember. So they don't know a world before that. Many of us in the room do, but, but they don't. Uh, they also, most of them don't remember a world before there was a black president. Right? 2008 was when Barack Obama was first elected. So for most of them, that's not living memory for them. Um, they won't remember who the president before Barack Obama is or was. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that political comment. Uh, <laughs> I uh, have no comment on any of these things. They also won't remember f cell phones that don't have 
FaceTime or video chat on them, right? That's something they won't remember. They won't remember dial-up internet. <laughs> and they won't know what it's like to live in a world that doesn't have the internet. They'll be the first generation that has no experience of that. Even the millennials got in on sort of the front end, the older millennials especially, got in on the front end of the experience of the internet emerging, right? Screeching dial-up and your mom yelling at you because you're hogging the phone line. Uh, it is a different world that they're growing up in. Can we give a great big round of applause for our volunteers? Thank you so much. All right. All right, so there's our visual to help you understand the generations that exist in society but also exist in our church. And um, let me just talk a little bit about what I didn't say. So let's say you have a parent or a grandparent that's older than you and you have the opportunity to learn from them firsthand about these life experiences. That's a real treasure. Uh, or someone older in your life, maybe not a parent or grandparent, but someone who can tell you the real life stories. My mom is a school teacher and still. She's 82 and she subs about five times a, a month. And uh, you know how many times they get to like a history component and then they say, well, let's call in Mrs. Atkins. <laughs> so my mom comes in, and they're like, uh, so we were studying this, but you lived when this happened. So then she, she always gets to tell the stories of, oh, yeah, you know, whether, again, she is a builder, so she experienced everything that was listed here, uh, and she, she shares those things with young students. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to hear these stories from those who are older than us, but then what about the stories of faith that can be passed on. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, this is how I experienced these, these generational defining uh, events. But what about the spiritually defining events? How did those, how were those supposed to be passed on? I want to do a, a fun little exercise here. It's not really an exercise. Well, it is and it isn't. We're going to sing a song. It's a familiar song to many of you. And uh, Kurt's, Kurt's going to lead us. And um, we're going to sing the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Okay? It's a testimonial song. It's a song basically about um, experiencing the spiritual transformation that Jesus can bring to a life. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song. And then afterwards, uh, I'm going to come back and chat a little bit and see where this leads us. To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of love's praise Teach me some melodious song Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon Mount of God's unchanging love Here I raise my Ebenezer Here by thy help I come And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fall of God 
from danger interpose his presence and all oh, to grace how great a death daily I got strength to be let thy love like a feather by my wandering heart to be prone to Thank you. You may be seated. Was there a line in that song that stuck out to you as a line that you didn't know what it meant? Here I raise my Ebenezer. (laughs) What does it mean to raise your Ebenezer? I mean, maybe it's a song that sometimes we don't sing because it sounds like a Christmas song. Is that about Ebenezer Scrooge or, or what? What's it about? Today I'm going to tell you what it's about and how it relates to the generations. First Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2 tells the story of Ebenezer. And so let me read it to you. It says, the ark, this is the ark of the covenant. If you watch Indiana Jones movies, you'll know what that is. The ark of the covenant remained at kiriath Jerem a long time, 20 years in all. This ark had been lost. The Israelites had taken it into battle as a talisman, sort of as a good luck. God is with us if we take the ark with us to win against their mortal enemies, the Philistines. And uh, they didn't care much about serving God. They just wanted the power of God. And they were in a bad place in their relationship with God. And so the ark, they lost the battle. Many lives were lost. And they lost the ark to their enemies. And... uh, through a series of supernatural events, the ark comes back to them and the people come back to God. It says, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and the ashtoreths and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and ashtoreths, those are idols, and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they'd assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted there and they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as the leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israels heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Lots of battle, lots of slaughter, crazy stuff. But then this is the verse. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. 
when the, when the hymn writer says, here I raise my Ebenezer, I mean, his whole song is sort of raising his Ebenezer. He's talking about what God has done for him, right? He was the one who had a heart that was prone to wander, and yet Jesus sought him, found him, and uh, brought him to himself, and he, and he experienced life with Christ. And Raising your Ebenezer is basically recognizing what God has done for you. And in the case of uh, the Israelites with Samuel, they took a stone, which normally would lie this way, and they erected it so it, lay, so it went up and down. You don't find stones normally situated like that. And they say every time someone comes and sees this stone and says, why is it in such an odd position? We can tell them the story of how we were going to be killed by the Philistines, but we cried out to God and he saved us. So far, the Lord has helped us. So raising your Ebenezer is really, um, it's really a, a, giving a testimony to what God has done in your life. But in this case, and in the case of many of the stories with the Israelites, it's about making sure you tell that story, not just to your peers, but to the next generation. We see this showing up again and again in the lives of the Israelites. Uh, there's the story of Joshua and the, when, they're about, when they finish crossing the Jordan River. He gets 12 uh, different uh, representatives of the 12 tribes and says, every one of you grab a stone from the river, let's make a pile of stones, an altar, and this altar isn't for burning a sacrifice, it's just as a remembrance. And when people see this strange altar, your kids and your grandkids, they're going to say, what's it about? In fact, let me read you the verses. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. They're going to be an, an Ebenezer. They're going to be something to help the next generation understand who God is and what God has done. So what are the things that we, uh, like our theme verse, we praise and declare to the next generation? Well, I would say there's two things. One, we need to talk about what God has done. So it's history, and that's what we're a little bit focused on that this morning. What are the defining events in our lives as individuals, in our walk with God, that we need to communicate to the next generation so that they can, uh, they can have a frame of reference for that. They can understand that. They can know that. There's a, there's a, there's a faith building that comes with that. Um, for me, um, I've told you this as a church before, but we got to go to Vancouver a couple years ago, and that's where my dad came to faith in Christ was in Vancouver, working at Woodworth's, which doesn't exist anymore, although the building's still there, and uh, also um, attending Evangelistic uh, Tabernacle, which was the big church of the 1960s that he attended, and uh, which doesn't exist anymore. It's all condos. Uh, but I actually, we actually went to the building, which had been turned to condos, and I told my kids about how this is where Grandpa uh, got discipled, and, and they taught him about Jesus. He was a new Christian, new immigrant, actually, uh, from England to Canada. And uh, they took this guy with a strange accent under their wing and loved him and, and taught him. And, uh, and uh, he grew in his faith here. Uh, this is, you know, a significant place. Uh, the other one that really stands out to me is uh, my father-in-law. Again, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, they came to faith in Christ uh, in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, in a little hall that a group called the Full Gospel Businessmen had rented to do a meeting, and they were invited. Uh, before that, there was lots of trouble in their marriage, and my father-in-law wa was an alcoholic, and uh, they came to faith in Christ that night, 
came home, woke up their two oldest kids, uh, and said, this is what happened to us, and they then led their two oldest kids to Christ, one of which was their oldest kid, my wife, Marnie. And so those are Ebenezer's. Those are telling the stories of what God has done, how God um, invaded our family tree in such a wonderfully gracious way uh, to change the trajectory of, uh, of generations. Now, it's one thing to, to have the talk. Let me tell you the story. Let me take you to the place. Let me show you where it happened. But there's also something that's ongoing that's necessary. It's not just what God has done historically, but what God is actually doing now. And I think that homes and families need to be constantly in this conversation about how we are, we are interacting with God. About we're looking to serve God, to obey God, to love God. And even though we have hearts that are prone to wander, and we don't do this perfectly, and all of us are stumblers and strugglers, we are pursuing the God who first pursued us. He made his love evident for us on the cross, and now we respond, uh, maybe not perfectly, well, definitely not perfectly, but in, we, we, we flicker back love to him, even though his love is beaming full force uh, as a constant. We, 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 we respond to him with our love. And live for him. So two conversations. What God has done, the talk, I'll call it. And what God is doing, the ongoing conversation. Now, let me read you a little bit more about, so Joshua said, hey, let's do this thing. People ask. It's very much like Samuel's story. But there's a a, sort of a disturbing after part to Joshua's story. And this is found in the book of Judges where Joshua's coming to the end of his life. And it says, the people... Served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So I'm assuming this is mostly his peers, but maybe some younger than him in his generation. And so Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance. And after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, the idols. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the idols. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them when they were no longer able to resist. So here you have the, the end of this story. Joshua said... Make sure you tell this to the next generation. Make sure when you see this rock pile that you tell them what God did. Make sure this gets communicated. And it seems like it might not have happened. Seems like, or maybe it happened, but it didn't get, um, it wasn't received. Now, you know, you can't control the next generation. That's really important to know. You can offer them everything. But they still have free will, and that's good. That's how God created them to be. And so, they'll, you know, you can tell them about God and what he's done and stuff like that, but they'll still make their own choices. And I was going to do commentary on this passage, but I got better commentary in my email box this morning from Ruby Dilsner. So I'm going to share her commentary on this very passage that she shared with me. Uh, she said, she wrote me and said, you asked if anyone had something they had learned on their mind that they wanted to share with you from older generation to young. There's one thing that I've learned from my experience within my extended family. Having learned from observation and this past winter, I learned again from God's word. 
I have learned that it only takes one generation for the influence and love for God to be lost from a Christian family. I know about free will and each one needing to make their own commitment, but the onus on parents and grandparents to teach their children and set an example is so important. We've watched when people stop going to church. They can give you a reason. There's always a reason or justification in their minds. They may continue to love the Lord and worship him at home and even teach their children, but those children feel no need to go to church and so often marry someone for whom church and the Christian life is not important, and then they don't go to church. And they have children who are not taught at all about the Lord, and that generation goes their own way with no thought for the Lord. And that's the end of a Christian heritage of generations before them. The importance of corporate worship and setting an example of showing the church and honoring God in that way is so important. This is exactly what I was looking for. I asked for people, hey, you got wisdom, you're in the older generations, pass it on. Thank you, Ruby, for, uh, for priming the pump and, and, and passing on your wisdom to us. So whose job is it? Whose job is it to pass this on from one generation to another? Let me read you a few scriptures and then you, you can guess. Okay? Hear, O Israel. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. Okay? So we're going to figure out whose job is it to pass on these things. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Whose job does it seem to be? It seems to be parents, one person said, okay, and the rest of you are saying, no, please, don't let it be parents. <laughs> okay, let's read the next one. Psalm 78, 5-7. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel when he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, that they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commands. So it sounds like parents are still on the hook and maybe grandparents are also on the hook. <laughs> well, let's read one more. Ephesians 6, so New Testament. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Good, now we're hitting the kids, right? Yeah, you kids, smart up, obey your parents. So that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. That's right. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So at least fathers are on the hook and maybe moms are part of that too. I think they are. So they say, oh, man, pastors do this. They just take away, oh, you know, I really was going to put the effort, you know, the onus on the church, but really then the pastor just sloughed it off onto the families. Now, I don't get to slough it either way because I am a father with three boys and I am a pastor. So either way, I'm on the hook. I don't get out of it. So I really, guys, I don't have an ulterior motive. The preservation method God has in mind for faith to be passed on from generation is the school of the family. That's his plan A. That doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan B. But it means that's his plan A. So even as Deuteronomy said, those conversations that happen when you're driving, when you're on your way to sporting events for your kids, or when you're, when you're picking them up from school, or, or when you're at home and you're hanging out, or over the, around the dinner table, when you get around the dinner table, right? those conversations are crucial. Those late at night conversations, those early in the morning conversations, those conversations when life is going awesome and those conversations when life has uh, dealt you something bitter. Those are the conversations, uh, the ongoing conversations that need to include 
how are we walking this out with God? How are we understanding what's going on with a worldview that's formed uh, by the scriptures, by relationship with God? Now, the church is not with no role in this. We partner with the family, right? We partner with the family. There's lots of good reasons for that. Uh, You know, lots of children don't have believing parents. Uh, We would have in our youth ministries and children's ministries kids who come here, and they don't have parents that uh, are following Christ. And we want to help those kids. We want to we walk with them. So that's really important for the church to be a good partner. And lots of families have lots of stresses and, and challenges. And, lot, and every one of us as parents are not doing a perfect job of parenting. I expect that my kids, when they grow up, they're going to say, okay, mom and dad helped us with this, this, and this. But there's still this, this, and this that we don't have a sniff of how to do. And, what it, and, what, and we didn't figure it out. And somehow we missed this. And, and it didn't get communicated. And, and you know... And hopefully after years with therapists, they'll come back and forgive us. But uh, where we want to do the best we can possibly do, and yet at the same time we realize that it won't be perfect. And so the, role, the church can play a very significant role in, that, in, in that, um, that partnership. Again, I look at my own life. My parents uh, loved God, tried their best to serve him, tried their best to teach us. I learned a lot. Uh, I would say the best spiritual school I ever had was my home. But... I didn't come out of there the graduate of all things spiritual. I came out of there uh, hopefully ready to learn uh, from my church, uh, from my pastors, uh, from people who led me and were ahead of me uh, in this walk with God. It all comes down to, and I want to bring it down to this for you you guys, is uh, whether we have a vision for the generations or if our concern only ends with our own. Let me, I'll just tell you this really quickly. There's two, two guys I, in the Bible that I contrast in this regard. The first is King Hezekiah. He was a good king, a really good king, one of the better kings that Israel had. King Hezekiah, or that Judah had, sorry, Judah had. Anyhow, split kingdom, sorry, long story. Anyhow, Hezekiah um, made a foolish thing, he did a foolish thing in the end of his life where he showed the, uh, the, the um, Babylonian king all the riches they had in their, their temple and in the treasury. And that was a really foolish thing because that made that king want to invade them and get all that stuff, right? And so the prophet Isaiah comes to him and confronts him and says, you know, you've done a really dumb thing. And he says, well, what's the results? What will happen? And Isaiah says, well, nothing's going to happen in your generation, but the next generation is going to be invaded. And this is King Hezekiah. Now, remember, he's a good guy. But here's his response. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? See, Hezekiah was a good king, but he had a flaw. He only really cared about his own generation and his own lifespan. He wasn't thinking about generations yet to come. And I contrast that with the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy 2.2, this is what he says. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I think that's what all of us want. Is we, I, I don't know how, long, how wide you think. Do you just think of your own generation? Do you think of the generation to come? I would actually challenge you to expand that and think of generations. Some that you'll never meet. Because I actually believe that some of the things that have been invested in my life 
didn't originate with my parents or my grandparents. Some of the blessing in my life originated actually generations before that with grandparents or great-grandparents I've never met. The Bible says that the blessing of a righteous man will extend to the third and fourth generation. You may never meet the third and fourth generation. And by the way, I'm not just, I don't want to exclude people who don't have children. This is really the blessing that God allows you to put into spiritual children, not just those who are naturally born of your own, is the same. Sometimes that, that, that has the potential to extend to the third and the fourth generation and, and to extend to ones who you don't even know. This church has been here 90 years. That means that people I'm not old enough to have ever met invested for my blessing and your blessing. I'm indebted to people I'll never know their names. Well, maybe I will in heaven. Maybe God will have a big schematic drawing. (laughs) This is how many people it took to help you, Steve. (laughs) A lot, right? Like, wow, I really am indebted. But investing for the generations is a vision I think that only God can give you. I don't think you can drum it up on your own. I think God has to set your heart and mind aflame with these kind of ideas. And so maybe out of compassion for your own children, there'll be a, a, a way that you'll want to bless them with the things of God and to understand who God is and what an what a incredible treasure he is. But I would challenge you to think even further than that. Think that God in his um, sovereign purposes is weaving together plans for more than just our generation and more than just the next generation and more than just the generations we saw evidenced up here this morning. I don't know how long it'll be that things will keep on tripping along, but someday Tassie will be at this end if the Lord, you know, allows us to stay around for that long. And if she is, wouldn't it be great if she was able to sit in Hazel's chair and say, well, God help me all the way. And I love to tell the generations of what he's done. Let's stand and pray. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you for each generation that's in our church. Thank you for uh, builders, boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Z, whatever they end up being called. I thank you for each generation. And I thank you that uh, you've made us a very diverse community. It's an incredible thing when you build a family. It seems like you just picked and choose people from all sorts of walks of life and all sorts of backgrounds and experience, and you said, hey, you guys are brothers and sisters. (laughs) Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we didn't go out and handpick a spiritual family. Thank you that you uh, chose in your sovereignty and that you are always inviting people to step into that spiritual family to become your son or your daughter. Lord, I, I ask, Lord, that you give us a heart that would invest well that whatever, it, we're building on stuff that other people have already built, 
Other people have built foundations for us to stand on. And, and some of the ways in which, some of the things I haven't had to struggle with, I know, are because my parents struggled, my grandparents struggled. They fought a spiritual battle. And you enabled them to win in that area so that that would not be a struggle for me. And I praise, I praise you for that. Lord, I pray you'd help us to build well. Whatever generation we're in right now, help us to build well for the next generation. And give us, a, give us a heart for those younger than us. If we've had disdain in our heart or uh, we've looked down on generations or we've even spoken negatively about generations, help us, to, help us to begin to see the potential in each generation and approach it, that generation not with fear but with faith. To trust that you are going to work out incredible things in every generation. And the events that are yet to come, which might seem daunting when they arrive, you're going to provide everything we need, every resource we need, in order to stand for you in that day. So Lord, fill us with faith for the future. Keep us focused on you. Lord, we want you to be the center of our lives. In every situation, in everything that comes. And Lord, help us praise your works. Not just to say them. Fill us with passion for what you've done and what you're doing. And I pray that that would be communicated to everyone around us. We ask that in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to dismiss, but there's prayer people here at the, uh, at, the, at the front. If you want someone to pray with you, we would love to chat with you and pray with you. Also, uh, if you've fit, filled out your wise person card, um, I'm going to ask you to get, leave that with the ushers out there. Wise, your wise area you need wisdom and the wise person you are looking forward to hearing from uh, in about a month from now. Okay, so fill that out. Give that to the ushers on your way out. God bless you and thank you for coming.